Well, happy Easter. Here's the truth. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen? I want to I welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, at an off-site campus. I've been looking uh, at uh, some of the pictures. Absolutely incredible. We welcome those of you in McClellanville. This is your grand opening, and uh, uh, we're just excited. And those of you that are on the internet, we're glad that you came along too. And uh, wherever you happen to be sitting uh, in the Long Point campus, uh, we're glad that you made the effort uh, to be here. Uh, wow. And I, I guess I need an apology, first of all. Uh, apparently, uh, when we uh, made a decision on what the background set was going to look like uh, a few months ago, the umbrellas evidently were a prophetic uh, voice to bring rain in on Easter weekend, and so we won't do that one again next year. Who would have thought umbrellas and a cross, huh? Well, you'd try anything. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, how many of you can remember... Uh, the first motor vehicle, the first something with power that you actually drove. Do you, do you remember yours? Here's mine right here. Um, actually, this isn't it. It's kind of like it. When I was about 14 years old, my dad uh, bought me a motorcycle. And can I tell you, it changed my life. Uh, this is, it, it, was a, it wasn't a Harley, it was a Hodaka for some of you who are a little bit, um, you've got some experience in life. Uh, it only, they, they only lasted about 10 years. This one right here is about the same age. It's kind of like me. It's got, it's got a little paint coming off the top, and, uh, but it's, uh, it's got, it's got some, some uh, spark too. Uh, not too old for spark. But uh, anyway, I remember when I got this, and it changed my life because now I didn't have to walk everywhere. I had, I had a power vehicle that I, I could ride, and uh, who knew but what a black leather jacket and a motorcycle um, was a chick magnet, and so it really changed my life. Now, not every decision that I made on this bike was good, okay? Uh, the Hodaka was one of the original trail bikes. I lived in Colorado, and uh, we used to take some, uh, well, we used to do some things we probably shouldn't have, and in fact, mine had a uh, kind of a dent here in the gas tank that was exactly like my knee, and I still feel that these mornings when I get up when it's raining just a little bit. But it changed my life, changed my life. It was an introduction of power. Now what's that got to do with Easter? Well see, Easter has a lot of themes, a lot of, a lot of things that we think about at Easter, and I think one of the overarching themes, kind of one of the central themes of Easter, is the introduction of power in the world. A new kind of power. Jesus on the cross, uh, he demonstrated power over life and over death. He demonstrated power over circumstances. He demonstrated power over his emotions on who he was gonna love and who he chose to forgive even when he was on the cross. In fact, the whole story is outrageous, to be honest with you. We're, we're in a series right now that we're calling Outrageous. And we're taking a look at the outrageous statements and actions of Jesus. Have you ever read the Bible and you come across a pa passage, maybe something that Jesus said, and you go, really? Did that really happen? Did he really say that? W what did he mean? And we're studying those things. I wanna invite you back uh, next week as we continue the series just talking about the outrageous 
statements of Jesus. Mother's Day, I'm already working on. Um, this is going to be a fun one because I'm going to do stuff Jesus said to his mom. And if you just do a little cursory study of the New Testament, you know that's going to be interesting. Stuff Jesus said to his mom. But this whole story is outrageous. I mean, God, who created everything, would become man. He would be born of a virgin. He would live a sinless life. And then the culmination of that would be that he would die on a cross on Good Friday. He'd be raised from the dead on Easter. And then he would ascend to the Father so that we could have life. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's crazy. And one of the... Um, one of the more outrageous things that he said, and I th- hopefully by the end of the message you'll kind of understand this, uh, was shortly after the resurrection, he'd appeared to several of his followers and now he's getting ready to ascend to the Father. And in Acts chapter one and verse eight, he says to them this, but you, and when he's speaking to you, he's talking about Christ's followers, he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. You will receive power. In other words, he's saying, I'm I'm, going to give everybody a motorcycle. You don't have to walk around anymore. I'm going to give you a source of power that you've never had. And with that, you're going to be my witnesses, people are gonna look at you and they're gonna go, wow, there's, there's a power that I really don't have. He said to Jerusalem and Samaria, all the area around, ultimately to the ends of the earth. And it starts with the resurrection. And so uh, before I kind of get into what I wanna talk about, how many of you would say, honestly, I could use a little more power in some area of my life? How many of you would raise your hands? Okay, that section over there, not so much. I'm going to preach over here. <laughs> oh, you guys are smiling. It's great. Okay, we'll just, no, you guys are all right. I know. You just, you'll raise your hand next time. Okay, well, I'll give you another chance. You thought we were going to take an offering, didn't you? That's what it was. In church, they're going to take an offering. So the resurrection, what, what is it about the resurrection? The resurrection gives us power, gives us power to live power to live. Would you agree with me that life can be frustrating at times? Which one of these statements do you resonate with? People who snore always fall asleep first. How many of you, that's, yeah, it's my wife. It just irritates me. <laughs> actually not. That's something she said to me. Could you stay awake till I go to sleep so I can actually sleep, you know? Or maybe, maybe it's this one. Uh, the, your, your shin, how many you know it's a device for finding furniture in the dark? That's what it is, yeah. Or the easiest way to find something lost around the house is to buy a replacement. Has that happened to you recently like it has to me? Life can be frustrating. People can be frustrating. You know, how, how, how many can think of one person that really frustrates you right now? Okay, don't point, don't point, okay? Yeah, it's, it's somebody that maybe they talk too much or maybe they don't talk enough, you know, or... Uh, you know, maybe they, they, they never carry through, or maybe they're so legalistic that they make you feel small in what you do. It could be any of a number of things, but they frustrate you. Circumstances can frustrate you. Have you ever been in a hurry when nobody else was? That's frustrating, especially when it's God. God, why aren't you 
in the hurry that I am. You can frustrate yourselves. Have you ever felt like, boy, I, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why, why don't I carry through on what I want to do? You know, I love the Bible in that uh, the characters in it, they don't gloss them over. I mean, they're just real people, you know, like you and I. The Apostle Paul writes something interesting. It's about his own frustration uh, with himself. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, he says this. See if you relate. I do not understand the things that I do. I do not do what I want to do, and I do the things that I hate. Anybody resonate with that? And and Paul, when he wrote this, he's writing about his life actually pre-encounter with the power of Jesus. Jesus came to address the frustrations in life. In fact, John 10, in verse 10, one of my favorite verses, he says, there's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's not me, he says. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants every Christ follower to have life, the the quality of life that he had, have it to the full. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that um, there will never be anybody in your life that frustrates you. No, you've probably already ran into some people that frustrated you in the parking lot on the way in today. It it doesn't mean that uh, you won't have frustrating circumstances, because you will. This isn't heaven, this is earth doesn't mean that you won't at times frustrate yourself. But here's what it does mean. It means that Jesus came and he lived a life powered by the Holy Spirit. I mean, you read what he did. I mean, he went from place to place and it was just phenomenal. Um, his restraint and the things that he could do, he, he, was, he was powered. And you say, well, well that's because he was God. Well, he emptied himself of God. It's one of the great mysteries of the church. He was fully God, fully man, but he emptied himself of God, became man, and lived his life powered by the Holy Spirit. It was as if he had a superpower. You know, I've got grandkids, and they always want to talk about super, what superpower do you have? And I'm I'm superpower, I'm thinking, you know, Superman, old school, whatever. They're they're thinking like Elsa, you know, uh, (laughs) Frozen or Chosen or whatever the new movie is. It's like, that's the superpower. Well, Jesus his life on superpower. Um, If you look in the Old Testament, every once in a while you'll see somebody who was filled with the Spirit momentarily, and they did more than they thought they were capable of. Jesus was a man who walked his whole life filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, now, I want you to be full of the Holy Spirit. He says, I I, I want you to experience the same life. In fact, he makes another outrageous statement earlier in his ministry when people were questioning him and going and all this, and he said, I've got to go. He said, "Uh, greater things than I do, you're going to accomplish and do. And you go, well, how do you do that? Well, the only way that you could do that is multiplication. In other words, that there would be more people who would be living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Jesus never uh, let frustrating circumstances dictate to him and overcome. He didn't respond poorly to frustrating people. He didn't sabotage his own success and he says to you and I that we could have access to the same power, live the same life in all of its fullness. 
He told his disciples when they questioned him that it was necessary that he accomplish his mission, that he had to die. He came to die and then to be buried and then to rise again and then to ascend to the right hand of the Father so that the Holy Spirit could be released in all of his followers. In fact, the Apostle Paul, just a few verses later uh, in Romans, you remember when he said, man, I don't do what I want to do and it frustrates me. And he's talking about a pre-encounter with Jesus. And then in Romans 8, the next chapter, he talks about what it means to encounter the risen Christ. He says, the Spirit of God, if you're a Christ follower, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. And so because of the resurrection, you and I can have the power to live. I told you what it doesn't look like. What does it look like? What's that, what's that life look like? Well, it's a, it's a worry-free life. That's promised. Jesus talked to his disciples all the time. He said, why do you worry? It's a waste of time, he says. Your father in heaven knows what you need. He clothes the birds. He, or he clothes the flowers. He gives food to the birds. And you don't need to worry. It's the life he wants for you. You know, somebody said, worrying is a lot like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. If you know that that's the truth. Have you know also that a day of worry is about the equivalent of a, work, a, a week of work. It can wear you out. Jesus said, I want that for you. I want you to have a guilt-free life. You confess your sin. Walk free of guilt. I want you to have a hope-filled life, a peace-filled life, a confident life. You look it up. Every one of those things are promised to us if we'll walk in the life that Jesus has for us. It's kind of like the life you've always wanted. Um, it's living life in the sweet spot. <laughs> this, this past week, I, or week ago, I went to see uh, my oldest grandson, Miles, uh, play baseball. Now, he's in one of these organized, kind of organized leagues. And, uh, the league's organized, the games are a little chaotic. But um, see if you relate to this. My, my wife and I, we had four, four children, and we used to love to go watch them you know, play sports and stuff. And, and when they graduated from High school was like, what are we going to do? It's like withdrawal. What are we going to do with our weekends? What are we going to do with our, you know, weeknights or whatever? We got used to it real quick, but it was like withdrawal. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're excited about the grandkids doing it, and we'll be able to go and follow their stuff. I mean, when you really think about it, we have 13 grandkids, so that could be crazy. We may have to loan out their games to a few of you. But this was the first one I'd ever gone to. He's six years old, and it's coach-pitched baseball. Now, some of you or experienced this, I'm a rookie. And so it was just amazing to me. Here's how it worked. You'd have a whole team, you know, during an inning, the whole team that was on defense would all run out, not to the outfield, because nobody ever hit it out there, but they're all over the infield. And theoretically, they are there to catch a ball. None of them did, but that's what they're there for. And then, and then the, the team that's on offense, everybody gets to bat. It's not like, you know, three outs, there never was an out anyway. Three outs and it's the end of the inning. It's no, the inning's when everybody gets to bat, and not just gets to bat, every player has to hit the ball. It is the longest game known to the history of man. <laughs> and so I'm watching, and Miles, it really has a good stance. And I thought, I, I talked to his dad, and I said, Josh, I said, have you been working with him? He said, yeah, we, we work on it two, three times a, a week. He said, you gotta hear this. He said the other day, he says to me, Dad, Where's the sweet spot? 
<laughs> Somebody told him there was a sweet spot on the bat. He wondered, is it between this number and this? Where, where is it? And Miles, or Josh was thinking, anywhere you hit it, anywhere it connects with a ball, it's a sweet spot for you at this particular point. And I thought about that. He, he wants the sweet spot. Jesus came so that you could live life in the sweet spot. Does that mean that there will never be, you know, bad things that will happen? No, it doesn't. But it means that you'll have the power that you need to navigate through all of that. It's the life you wanted. It's the power of the resurrection. The resurrection also gives the power not only to live, but to love, to love. Jesus intended that his resurrection not just make you a better person, but that you be a part of making the world a better place, a better place. He's redeeming, he's restoring all things to himself. And so he gives the power to love. The power to love not only God, but to love your friends, your friends. In fact, he, he said this, he said, this is my command, love each other as I have loved you. He said, here's the command, love each other as I have loved you. I wonder how that landed with them. Because here's what I think. I, I think, you know, I try to love people. When I love in my own power, it's always conditional. You know, it just is. You guys are looking at me like, ooh, you're evil. No, I'm a lot better than you, most of you. Yeah, I mean, seriously. <laughs> Joke. <laughs> no emails. <laughs> Don't Twitter that. <laughs> so, so but, but Jesus loved unconditionally. And he says, here's what I want. I want you to love like I've loved you and the Father loves me. And it, it, what it means is that you're going to have a power to love your spouse in the way that they need to be loved, not the way you want to love them. There's the potential there to love your friends like they need to be loved. Let me just say this just for a minute. Let me, let me talk to you about what it means to be a mature Christian. Some people mean, think that a mature Christian is, you know, somebody that knows their Bible really well. Well, that's probably a good thing. Or that they know doctrine. You know, they've got their doctrine right. That's probably a good thing. No indication of maturity. Maturity is this. It's not what you know, it's who you love. Jesus flipped the tables on that. He said, this is my command, that you love one another. And the resurrection gives you the power to do that. And not just one another. He gives you the power to love your enemies. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you have heard that it was said, love your friends, hate your enemies. That's kind of the rule of the day where Jesus lived, and it still is. He said, but now I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may become the children of your father in heaven. He says, I want you to look like your father. And, and, and so I want you to, I want you to uh, pray for your enemies. I want you to bless those who persecute you. <laughs> Some of you are like me. Praying for your enemies goes kind of like this. God, hit them by a truck and take them home to Jesus. Take them home <laughs> to Jesus right now. <laughs> That's probably not very mature. I have a friend who's with us this weekend and he pastors a church in a, in a, a Muslim country. And the city that he's in is rocked by terrorism, factional infighting, and the persecution of Christians. In fact, on a Sunday, 
uh, a few months ago, a suicide bomber blew himself up in a packed church. Killed 85 people, you probably saw it on the news. Uh, injured over 100 people and Christians were devastated, but not only devastated, they got angry because they felt like that the police didn't come quick enough and that the government wasn't protecting them and really didn't care about them. And so they were gonna riot, they were just angry. When, when you get mad, you do crazy things. So a large crowd of them were gonna riot. And my friend stepped up in front of hundreds, maybe a thousand or thousands of angry Christians and Islamic leaders who were there. And, he's, and he called out and he said, listen, we, we can't do this. We have to live like Jesus lived. If we don't live like Jesus lived, then we're no different than anybody else. He said, we've got to pray for our enemies and we've got to bless those who persecute us. And he led them in that. And he said that as a result, the, the leaders who were not Christian have given them great favor because the, the, the emotions were, were calm. Where, where do you get that kind of power? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do that on your own. The power to live, the power to love. There's the power to forgive, the power to forgive. Forgiveness was a central theme in Jesus' message. And I think one of the reasons that it was, uh, was because it's so hard for us to do. I mean, in theory, it's great. and You love to tell other people that they need to forgive. But when it comes to you and it's hurt and it's about your ex or it's about a former business partner or it's about somebody who hurts you deeply, it's hard to forgive. Jesus taught you got to. In fact, the disciples were following him, they're learning from him, and they're seeing that he's living a life that's different. It's a life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And uh, over time, they connected the dots to the power being an extension of prayer. That anytime there was something big coming up, Jesus would lock himself away in prayer. He'd come out even more filled with, with the Holy Spirit power. And he'd, and he'd, uh, and he'd do the, the works of, of God. And so one of them asked him, teach us to pray. Can you teach us to pray? He said, sure, I'll do that. And so, and so he taught him a prayer. If you're a Catholic, you call it the, our Father. If you're a Protestant, you probably call it the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and, and he taught them to pray it. Our Father, chart in heaven, hallowed be your name. On and on and on. He gets down to the part on forgiveness, and here's what he says. He says, forgive us our sins because we forgive everyone who has done wrong to us. Forgive us our sins as or because we forgive those who've done wrong to us. I can imagine one of the disciples maybe going, Jesus, Jesus, did you miss a word there? I mean, you really can't mean that our forgiveness is tied to how we forgive other people. No, that's kind of the way it is. I mean, God initially comes into your life and loves you as a sinner, but as you grow in him, you're gonna to need to forgive other people in order for prayers to get answered, in order you know, to, to walk in the way that you should. And the disciples are going, wow, that's, that's tough. That's tough. Then a little bit later, he's teaching some believers. And he says, in Matthew 18, he says, hey, um, when you get hurt in the church, you're not supposed to just quit the church and leave the church. That's what the world does, okay? What you do is you go and, and you go one-on-one -on -one with the person that's got a problem with you or somebody has a problem, you have a problem with somebody, you go one-on-one -on -one with them. And, and if you don't get it solved, you go two-on-one. And if that doesn't solve it, you, 
bring the elders of the church. And why is it so important? Two things. Number one, it's the reflection of Jesus to the world. If we just get mad, we don't deal with it. We just quit. We just, you know, go do our own thing. We're no different than anybody else. In fact, later Jesus said, it's so important that he said, the world will be one when my church is one. When we love one another, when we reflect the unity of the Holy Spirit. So it gives this teaching, gives this teaching. So Peter comes to him and says, Jesus, I got a question about this whole forgiveness deal. I'm sorry, but let, let me just give it to you. And so he does. And in verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 21, he says, Lord, when my fellow believer sins against me, how many times must I forgive? Jesus says, you got to forgive him. And Peter wants to know the number, okay? The number, right? And he goes on and he says, should I forgive him as many as seven times? Maybe one of the things that's going on is Andrew, his brother, has just ticked him off about all he can handle. He's forgiven him six times. He's figuring on seven, I'm going to clock him. Or maybe it's eight. Well, what is the number? And Jesus goes, I tell you, you've got to forgive him more than seven. You've got to forgive him even if he wrongs you 70 times seven. You can see Peter with the calculator, 490. Jesus says, no, put your calculator away. What I'm saying is it's infinite. It's infinite. You've got to forgive. And then he modeled it on the cross because it was such a difficult concept. How's it going to play out when he's got to forgive? So he's on the cross. This, this week I read a, a little article. I try to do it every, every year at Easter that just talks about the graphic pain that Jesus went through on the cross. I'm not going to talk about it. I just need reminded of how much my salvation cost. It was free, it wasn't cheap, it wasn't cheap. And Jesus is on the cross and he's been beaten and whipped and is bloody and near death and then they nail him to the cross in the horribleness of the crucifixion and he's in his last moments after hours and they've stripped him and they're at the foot of the cross, they're throwing dice for his clothes, they're gambling and they're mocking him. And Jesus looks down he looks up at the Father. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Oh, how do you do that? How do you do that? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus knew that forgiveness was important because you're gonna, you, you've been forgiven by God. You need to always remember that. Try to, how many of you know that we, we, want, we want to be judged by grace, but we want everybody else to be judged by the law, Okay. He says, you've been forgiven, and you're going to need forgiveness someday. You're going to blow it with somebody, and you're going to need them to forgive you, and so you need to forgive. And then forgiveness, unforgiveness, holding a grudge just makes you miserable. Somebody said, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Somebody else said, holding a grudge is like letting live rent-free in your head. I like that. See, forgiveness doesn't excuse the other person's behavior. Forgiveness prevents their behavior from destroying your heart. Holding a grudge makes you miserable. It's a powerful thing. I want you to see a story. Somebody in our church, Sarah Jenkins, goes to the Long Point campus. Um, when she was a little girl, her mother 
um, abandoned her. And she grew up in an orphanage, not somewhere in a foreign country right here in South Carolina. Some point she received Jesus. She happened to be a star basketball player by that point also. Um, but there still was something missing. And she went through a process of forgiveness. And I want you to see her story. We just loaded up in the car and a friend's car and transported us two hours away and dropped us off at an orphanage at a children's home. And she told us that it would be temporary, that it would be a one-year placement. I began to adjust to the home and I would still cry myself to sleep at night. Um, I still felt shame. I felt like this stigma had attached itself to me, that I was not normal, that something was wrong with me. And, you know, but I held on to the hope that it wouldn't be long. And I lived for the day from when my mom was gonna take me home. And I remember countless Sunday afternoons where I would sit and look out my bedroom window and just watch the cars coming back and forth into the visitation area. And, and you know, five o'clock would roll around and. If she hadn't made it to the home by then, I knew she wasn't coming. We, my cottage had gone to this youth rally at a local church. I remember hearing that if you want a better life, then you need to ask Jesus into your heart. And they said a whole bunch of other stuff, but I remember just hanging on to those words. And I thought, well, I want a better life. You know, anything's gotta be better than this. And the Holy Spirit moved in me that day because I decided that I would become a Christian and I would give my whole life to Jesus. And then after that, my life really did start to change. I started to make choices, you know, not doing what everybody else was doing and making good choices. And um, also there was a family or a woman that worked at the home and she would take, she and her husband would take me away on weekends and I would get to spend weekends with them. So one day they sat me down and said, we want to make you a part of our family. And this was the summer before my junior year in high school. I packed my stuff and we pulled up to this beautiful white house in a beautiful neighborhood. And for the first time in my life, I had you know, parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and, you know, on the outside, it truly was a rags to riches story. But on the inside, I was still dying because I was being verbally and emotionally abused in my foster home. And so the one thing that I thought was going to help fix me, <laughs> it, it just wasn't it and it wasn't happening for me. And so I continued to grow and trust God through that. And when I started playing basketball, I realized quickly I was not gonna be the superstar of the Lady Gamecock basketball team. I really struggled because I really wanted that. You know, I was just really having a pity party and really down on myself. And, and I remember, you know, her name is Hope Radeball and she brought in a candle and she turned off the light. And she lit the candle and she said, this is you. You are a light in a dark place. 
And that's when the blinders came off. When you understand who you are in Christ, and that is all that you are, that you are his child, that you have been made complete in Christ, and that your only purpose for living is to be light to the world and to show God's love to other people. I mean, that is it. That is, when you know that and you're living that out, I feel like I've just been so blessed to be able to see people the way that God sees them. They're hurting, and that's why people hurt each other, because we don't know how to love each other. I really was at that place where I could forgive her, and it was something that God had done in me that allowed me to see her differently, to see her the way that He sees her, and the way that He sees all of us, and that we're all lost, and we're all broken, and we're all in need of a Savior. So when I chose to forgive my mom, I'm not giving her what she deserves. I'm giving her what she needs. Hmm. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give you what you deserve, but what you need? You know what? There may be somebody in your life right now that's hurt you, and you need to give them what they need and not what they deserve. How do you do that? with the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do you receive that? Just let me as quickly as I can, just kinda tell you what I know. If you're kinda at the edge of the circle, like if you were thinking about the people who were listening to Jesus, there were people that mocked him, they weren't even in the circle. But there were some that were on the very edges of that circle. They were seekers. They were interested, but they'd never really declared that they were Christ followers. If that's you, and we always have many here in our church, and we and we, we respect that and we respect you and we but we want to invite you in. When you come to Jesus, you say, I want to be a Christ follower. I know that I'm a sinner. I ask that you would forgive my sin, and he does. And he not only does that, but he gives you eternal life, which a part of that is the potential for the life that he has for you, life in the sweet spot. That is a result of the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of you. And as you learn to walk in the Spirit, you learn to, to just have this rhythm of walking with him, then you begin to live in the power of the resurrection. And I want to invite you in. I want to invite you in. It's not just because heaven is promised. That's a big deal. But it's because of the life that he gives here also. He has a plan and a purpose for you. Now, some of you are believers, and you say, well, I'm not really experiencing all that. You know, life's not really all that great for me. You know, the, the, the life's hard and loving is, isn't easy right now and forgiveness is uh, one I'm stumbling over. And, and here's what I want to say to you. I want to use the motorcycle again. I lived in Colorado, as I said, and um, I remember one day I ran out of gas. And Colorado isn't like Mount Pleasant where that they're, you know, Mount Pleasant doesn't have a mount. And if you're looking for it, it doesn't exist. We had mounts there. 
I remember being an hour or a mile and a half from my house, ran out of gas, and I had to walk this thing home. And going up a long hill, tell you what, I said it was easier when I didn't have a motorcycle. And trying to live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit really is harder than pre-Christ. And so what I want to say to you is you're probably out of fuel. Or maybe you never learned how to walk in the Spirit. And what I want to pray for you today is that you be filled with God's Spirit. You begin to experience the life that the resurrection holds for you. Would you bow for prayer? And as we bow, our campus pastors are coming to the front. Um, If you're in a venue here at Long Point or maybe in an overflow room, one of the staff would just stand up to the front right now. That would be great. And what I want to say to you is just kind of bow your your heads. And um, if you're in one of those two places, maybe you are kind of on the outside looking in, a seeker. And you're saying, you know what, today I want to become a follower of Christ. I really do. God is calling you. He's the reason you're here. You may think that you're initiating this, but he's already initiated it for you. You're just responding to him. Or if you're a believer and you just feel like you're out of gas and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit refreshed, would you just look up at me right now? Just wherever you are, just look up at me, okay? If you fall into one of those two categories, okay, okay. Up in the balconies, all right? Okay, wonderful, 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 wonderful. I wanna pray for you, okay? And as I pray, I want you to pray, pray with me, just in your own way. You say, that's me, that's, that's me, I, I, I need this. God, I thank you for the wonderful people that you've gathered here. I thank you most for Jesus who died for us that we could live. God, I pray for those who are kind of on the outside looking in. And many of them have bravely said today, I'm gonna step across the line. I'm gonna quit being a seeker and become a believer. Don't understand everything that there is to know about it. But I wanna follow you. Thank you for saving me from my own self and my sin, for dying for me. Just tell him that. Thank you for dying for me. Make it personal. I want to live for you now. God, others of us are, we're empty. We're believers, but we're running on empty. And God, we pray right now, and you just pray in your own way. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Just ask him to do that. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. Come. Fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.